The reason I'm dressed differently is because today, Kyle and I were invited to go testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee and tell them all about you guys and about how you're coming back to their communities to make them better. And our only ask of them was to please let us send a van for you or multiple vans and come visit our people in our community and let us show you that change is not only possible, it's inevitable. And you folks are our evidence. And the only thing we added to everything that ever was, was dignity. And thank you for being dignified in your response to it. So soon, if you guys are here on President's Day, we will have the Senate Judiciary Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, and their staff here to, to meet you. Kind of cool stuff, isn't it? So we start this thing with a prayer, and tonight we're going to pair off just a little bit. We have a graduate that has a message for us, and he's going to give the invocation. Rod, you ready? Some of you know him, some of you don't. Come up here, because you can't get in the camera until you're up here. Is it on? No? Uh, a year ago today, well, last week, two days ago, uh, I walked into these gates, uh, into these doors to New Freedom. We graduated, uh, and it's been beautiful ever since. Uh, when nobody would give me a place, New Freedom gave me a place. Uh, so my heart today is filled with gratitude. First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 says, And everything give thanks to the Lord, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank and praise you for who you are and everything you're doing in our lives. We want to thank you for new freedom. We want to thank you for Joe McDonald, for our First Lady Denise McDonald, uh, for opening these doors, for giving us a place to go to when nobody else would. It is because of you and the love that you have for us that we have this place. We want to thank you for it. We want to praise you for it. And we want to ask you to continue to bless this place, continue to bless Joe McDonald and our First Lady Denise with the desire to continue to help those who are locked up. They're the ones who did not forget those who are incarcerated. And we thank you for them. We praise you. And we ask you, Lord, to continue to bring people to this place so that they might be blessed the way I was blessed. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. amen. Thank you, Roddy. So what I was going to tell you, if you're brand new and have never been here before, you might experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for a lot of years. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. Yes? So what I'm going to do, our 12 steps suggest that we try to carry this message and practice these principles in all our affairs. So I'm going to try to show you how I find my experience in this book and encourage you to have your experience with it, if that makes sense. 
It may look like or sound like I'm telling you what it says, but that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is show you how to find your own experience in it. Does that make sense? And I may stray because I believe in things. I may come off overly emphatic. And you may be overly judgmental. But if we'll, but if we'll work on it, we're guaranteed a spiritual experience. We will share a spiritual experience in here tonight. Fair enough? How many of you have been here before and witnessed that happens? So those of you joining us online, they raised their hands. The anonymous nature of our fellowships doesn't allow us to show you that. But the reality is they're raising their hands to tell you that we share a spiritual experience. And in 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we mean a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know. And I'll call it to your attention because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration. Fair enough? All right, so we're going to be in step 12 tonight, so we're going to have some highs and lows in all likelihood. And we're going to start on page 89 of our text. And it's a little chapter called Working with Others. You ready? How many of you have been described as having had difficulties working and playing with others? It's a good thing they got a chapter on that here. All right. So they start off with some promises and conditions. Let's see if we can catch up with them. It says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. So did you catch some promises in there? Other activities will fail. Oh, what a downer he is. (laughs) Nonetheless, a promise, though. What about the insurance? Practical experience shows that nothing so much ensures immunity as intensive work with others. By the way, the entire model of this facility is based on this fact. The the fact that people with similar experiences can win the confidence of another simply by sharing their experience is not only a theory, it's a proven fact, and that's how we run the whole place. 80% of our people here have lived experience in addiction and incarceration or incarceration. Does that make sense? So, and to Sean's point, other activities will fail. So if you think that you can will your way through it or you can cut short the service aspect, the likelihood is in their estimation that's not true. So we like to dispel you of that notion, maybe avert some suffering. Until I started thinking of others, I did not get free. Okay, so, This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to alcoholics. So what message? Yeah, Sean's speaking about the hope, but there's no wrong message other than my awakening as the result of the steps, right? And then there, the first reason I would do it is not the suggestion. The suggestion would be absent self, right? That's why I went through the steps to get absent self, so that I could serve as a vessel by 12. So the first reason, the selfish reason we do it is because it provides immunity. But sometime in your journey, you will find that you'll grow deeper in the spirit when you start offering yourself to others more and more. Does it make sense? Okay, so the, the 12 suggestions coming, you can help when no one else can. How many of you walked by a problem because you didn't want to be involved? So in your new life, 
you may be the only one that can be involved. So we're, we're going to shed that old life. Does it make sense? And then it says, you can secure their confidence when others fail. How many of you like to be talked to by someone who learned of your incarceration experience in a book? How many of you like hearing from Rodney, who graduated from this program nine months ago? And it matters, right? So remember, they're very ill. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. How many of you realize that seeing a fellowship grow up about you, having a host of friends, is a full-bodied experience and not just something you see? Right? Have you noticed when you're with your people, you just feel safer? That's that vital sixth sense coming up in you. Okay. So he said, we know you'll not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Notice how they said newcomers and with others. Why is frequent contact with newcomers a bright spot in our life? I've got to serve. I've got to serve. I'm interlinked, right? Okay. So then it says, perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. Think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? Think a little deeper. How many of you have been surprised at some of the places you meet people who do not want to recover? You ever been like Sean to an AA meeting and met people who don't want to recover? Have you been someone at a meeting who didn't want to recover? So sitting in a Sitting in a pond don't make you a duck. Sitting in a meeting doesn't make you a recovered alcoholic. Okay, so you can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start off as an evangelist or a reformer. Why did they suggest that? Because they tried it and it pissed people off. <laughs> Any of you had that experience? What do they mean by an evangelist? Yeah. Well, that'd be the reformer, right? Talking about the evils of alcohol. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. So they learned it through experience, to Sean's point. So we're all going to do it. We're all going to start off as evangelists or reformers. But we'll grow in the spirit if we really want to serve. Ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. Now, don't get it twisted. They use the word can for a reason. Your drinking experience alone isn't what makes you useful. It's the obvious demonstration that you no longer suffer from that malady, and you know the place where they are that makes you uniquely useful. In other words, until your redemption is evident, this ain't a place to tell war stories. This is a place to tell redemption stories. Make sense? Okay. So, so cooperate, never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. How do we do that? Yeah, it's important that they be heard. 
When people are heard, they felt seen. How many of you have had the experience of feeling like the world couldn't see you anymore? It's really important for us to unpack to know that we're seen and heard, and that requires listening, not lectures. Make sense? Okay. So it says, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. Who's the persuader? Alcohol, Alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, fentanyl, much more persuasive powers than you or me. How many of you had to be persuaded to recovery when you finally were ready for recovery? No, we were tore up from the floor up. We crawled in and said, just tell me anything. Right? Okay. All right, so it says you don't want to try and persuade them because you may spoil a later opportunity. How many of you got your opinion of recovery tainted by people trying to tell you what you needed to do? So you don't want to be that guy, right? Be the guy that you wish you would have approached you when you get the chance. Don't replicate the bad experiences you've had. Does it make sense? That's why we got a power greater than us so we can see what's up. All right, so, so this advice is given for his family. Also, they should be patient realizing they're dealing with a sick person. And then I'm going to jump from there because we often don't work with the families right away, but we do encounter people in meetings and things of that nature at first. So I want to talk about that experience if you want to from their experience. Is that all right? So we're going to jump over to uh, page 91 about the middle of the page. And they suggest see your man alone if possible. So if you meet him in a meeting hall, how many of you have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps and endeavors to work with others? Bunch of you? How do you see the man alone or the woman? Get in the car. <laughs> Sean kidnaps them. Anybody else? <laughs> how many of you have started going to whatever meetings you go to and you get there early and help them set up? How many of you stay late? Maybe go have coffee with the new people. Yeah, see, that was explained to me a long time ago. Before the meeting and after the meeting, we tell you who we really are. During the meeting, we tell you who we want you to think we are. Make sense? Okay. So it says, at first, engage in general conversation. So what's that look like? Oh, there's no wrong answers. Just don't assume anything about them. I have not seen you before. You, you're new to the area? What do they usually hear? Who's been a new guy? Read the first 164 pages. <laughs> so you'll instantly be set apart, which you're called to be. Right? There's no earnestness. The Spirit will lead you to those. And not everyone who's a newcomer needs... It's not just the newcomer that needs help. It may be someone really struggling that's, you know what I mean? So we need to pay attention to what's up and not just, all right. So after a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. So what are your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences? Yeah, that's good, Lance. We don't want to talk to them in Alcoholics Anonymous because they know right away, if they've been around before, that that's what we're doing, right? So we want to talk to them about, you know, the experience of losing everything. The experience of, look, I get it, man. I, I, 
I lost everything, still didn't stop me. They had to lock me up or chain me down. That still didn't stop me. So I get where you are, but I will tell you there is an opportunity for you to walk from there to where I stand because I'll walk with you. I've been there and I know how to get here. Does it make sense? Okay. So then it says, if he wishes to talk, let him do so. How many of you just wanted someone to hear you? So you really didn't want to endure a lecture. You just wanted somebody that wasn't judging you to hear you. Yeah? Okay. Then it says you'll thus get a better idea how you ought to proceed. At some point, we're going to have to start talking about solution if we're dwelling in the problem. Yes? If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why do they suggest that? Do you guys hear Lance? He said he didn't know how, he only knew who. So that's one of the things we don't, we often hear people, what'd you do today to stay sober? The true answer is absolutely nothing. I told you I was powerless and why? Make sense? So what we're trying to do is not talk above our pay grade. How many of you really, if you think back to how your sobriety was accomplished, really don't have any idea? <laughs> I've got no earthly clue. I drank every day, no matter what. I, I only stopped if I was locked up, chained up, some combination thereof, in a coma, did not stop. And then one day, pow! <laughs> and I walked out of there and that never happened again. So I couldn't tell you nothing about how. I was a dead man. But I was lifted up and I was walked out and I'm serving to this day. And I can tell you, I am not qualified to talk to you about how. But I absolutely boldly declare who. Okay. So if... If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. What's that look like? You better stop drinking or you're going to die. How many of you heard that? If you don't stop using drugs, you're going to go to prison. Did it help? Look at who I'm talking to. So the idea is we're not here to moralize or lecture because it doesn't work, right? They talked about it in the 5, 6, and 7 instruction. They said we are people as a class who have spent thousands of dollars for informed medical opinions, lied to get those opinions, and then ignored the results of those opinions. So it's not moralizing and lecturing and reasoning doesn't work with me because I have an unsound mind in my addiction. See, my problem isn't with heroin. My problem is with your attitude about my heroin use. (laughs) If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. How many of you got funny stories? How many of you can remember coming into recovery and there was nothing funny? So it's our, it's our job to read that because there ain't nothing funny when nothing's funny. And if, if someone's just cutting up in front of me when nothing's funny, 
I pretty soon get to thinking you're making fun of me. So why would I want to be in tune to the spirit? Because I can read that energy in the spirit. And I can speak to the depths of that. Okay? So get him to tell some of his. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. So how baffled were you and how did you finally learn you were sick? Wound up in detox. <laughs> you got it early. You were a good student. <laughs> how many of you went through a few detoxes? How many of you can't count how many you went through? So it doesn't always happen like it did for Sean. How many of you are still learning that you're sick? How do you still have trouble with the idea that it's... Okay, so we need to speak to that, right? I mean, because some people don't believe they're sick. Most people that come to recovery don't believe they belong here. Most people that go to public detox don't believe they're like the other people they meet there. How many of you got to a public detox? Do you notice there are a lot of people there you didn't want to be like? They point out to you there as a patient and not an observer? We're not really good at deducing our own condition, are we? All right. So give an account of the struggles you made to stop. Did you make struggles to stop? The reason you go through the step experience is to arm yourself with the facts about yourself, and you'll learn all these things, the struggles you made to stop, coming to believe an illness, because we have to come to believe an illness before we seek a healer, and then we come to believe in the healer because we knew that we could not bring about the healing of a disease we didn't believe we had. Anyway, show him the mental twist, which leads to the drink of a first spree. How many of you can think of some clean time and then all of a sudden outspun like a monkey again? Can you identify the twist that led to that? Because that's important because most of us don't get it the first time. So sometimes that's where we're going to relate to them. Okay. So it says, we suggest you do this as we've done it on the chapter on alcoholism. So they're talking about chapter three. Remember that chapter? They talked about Jim, the car guy. Any of you guys remember Jim, the car guy? Didn't even start drinking until he was in his 30s. But when he did, he was particularly good at it. And he soon ended up running into some AAs. Right? But anyway, Jim lost his car dealership because of the drinking he'd been doing. And he had to go to work for the car dealership he had once owned. And on his way to this job that somehow felt less than what he was entitled to, said he felt a little agitated. How many of you have had to take a less prestigious job as a result of where addiction took you? How many of you can recall going to work a little agitated by that fact? That's what happened to Jim. When he got there, he had a few words with the boss. Nothing serious. How many of you have gotten to work a little agitated and had a few words with the boss? Nothing serious. So we're still right there with Jim. So although Jim is at the car dealership where people come to buy cars, would we not pay a bill? He's at the car dealership where people come to buy cars. He decides to go out in the woods looking for people to buy cars. Any of you ever sell cars? <laughs> you understand the mentality. 
So on his way out to these woods where people who buy cars but don't come to dealerships hang out, see how he's losing just a little every step? He passes a roadside place where he's eaten many times. They have a bar, but no, no worries, I don't pick up no matter what. So he walks into this bar and he orders a sandwich and a glass of milk and then eats the sandwich, drinks the milk, and then the thought came to him, you know, I could add a shot of whiskey and it wouldn't hurt me on a full stomach. So he ordered another glass of milk, a shot of whiskey, and a sandwich. And apparently the experiment worked so well that he had another, and then another. And somewhere along the way, they quit talking about sandwiches and milk. So I'm, I'm thinking the another he has after a while is just the shot of whiskey. And then he ended up in the asylum again. Can any of you relate to that? Even if you weren't a drinker, any of you go to the dope house, show the fellows how good you're doing? So we're not that far away from old Jim, the car guy, right? All right. So it says, he will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. Did any of you relate to me? Congratulations, you just caught alcoholism. Good thing we're in the solution. So it says, if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. What is the hopeless feature of the malady? How many of you had a sincere desire to stop? How many of you were stopped? Didn't want to start again? Thought you overreacted? <laughs> or any number of twists to that story. The hopeless feature of the malady is even though I know in self-interest it's not safe for me to do it again, in spite of that, I will do it again. And I've proven it through lived experience. Yeah? Okay. So show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So that's why you would want to have a step experience. What is your experience of knowing better but finding yourself loaded again? And what do you believe preceded it? You see, a lot of people talk about the insanity what occurs after I take a drink, but that's not the insanity of alcoholism. That's just the crazy shit that happens to a guy like me when I drink. The insanity of alcoholism is knowing what I know about me, I would ever take that first drink. That's why they call it the insanity of the first drink. Does it make sense? Okay. So I need to know what caused that to happen. How many of you have had a job and you're sitting there and your coworkers are all cutting up and it's been a grueling day at work and they say, hey man, we're gonna all go out for a few drinks after work because I need to blow off a little steam. Have you ever heard that? Any of you thought, hmm, I've had a hard day at work. I'd like to blow off a little steam. Any of you ever have a similar experience to that? Why can't I go out and blow off a little steam? You ever ask yourself that question? Any of you go and find out? I can tell you what happened to me when I did. <laughs> the reason they can do it is they're going to come back to work tomorrow and I'm going to go live under a bush. 
Oleanders are better. Yeah, stay away from thorns. Um, don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it and be careful not to brand him an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. Again, what difference does it make my opinion of their condition? But the, the authors talk to us about when we become alcoholic, and it isn't, we don't drink our way into alcoholism, we have to be redeemed first. They say when we became alcoholic, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God's everything or he's nothing. So what they're telling me is until I'm telling a redemption story of a condition I was delivered from, I'm not an alcoholic in any meaningful way. It's not about a present condition. It's about a spiritual malady I've been relieved of. Does it make sense? Otherwise, I'm just talking to them about shit they figure they're going to see me doing in another week. Right? Okay. So, says, so let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. You think they're throwing him under the bus? No, they need... Just like I need or you need, we need them to convince us because it's their earnestness that's going to allow them to move through the process that levels pride. And until that starts, it ain't going nowhere. And it's incumbent on us to see what we're seeing, not them. They're insane. Right? Okay. So we're not throwing them under the bus, but what I know is the minute I tell an alcoholic that he's not alcoholic enough, he will set out to prove to me I'm wrong. <laughs> Had it happen. But insist that if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. How many of you can speak credibly about that? Any of you tried to recover on your own and found that the plan had some intricacies? Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So what are these conditions of body and mind that accompany this illness? Yeah, I've got this phenomenon of craving. The doctor didn't know it, couldn't prove it, but it was his observation that when an alcoholic took a drink, they had an abnormal reaction. He said it might be the manifestation of an allergy. And so over the years, people said, oh, yeah, I, I drink and I break out in handcuffs. <laughs> and so we lost the gravity of the teaching. But the teaching is that we have abnormal reactions if we're truly alcoholic or addict to that chemical. So how many drinkers are here? Okay, when you drank, did you find that alcohol energized you? Yes. Okay, so being energized by a sedative would be considered an, an abnormal reaction. Where's my heroin addicts? Do I need to say more? They give you a bump and all of a sudden you're out mowing the yard and painting the house, right? But when you're out, they think you're on. Where's my meth addicts? Did you find that shit calmed you down? You're really a mess. I've watched them slam it and nod out just like a junkie. And I know junkies. <laughs> it's our one. Um, keep, it, keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. 
Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it'll serve some good purpose, but you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. Guys, as a vessel of bad news, you're a deliverer of good news in the same moment. So we do not want them to go away liking us but dying in their addiction because I was afraid to tell them the truth. And I'm not trying to convince them, I'm just trying to tell them what I know about my condition, the impossibility of someone like me being restored to a guy like me now, and that if I'm in front of you, I was sent to you by him. Does that make sense? So you'll soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all the traits of an alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic, so much the better. If even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. Here's the trick. Last time they told me don't say anything. Now they're going to tell me what prods me saying anything. Let him ask you that question if he will. When they ask, then I'm obligated to honor my third step. Right? So that I may bear witness to your love, your power, your way of life. But not before that, because then I'm just evangelizing. Does it make sense? Okay. So then it says, tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If a man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. So they put that in italics so you'd understand what they're trying to say. God's not a conception anyway. The God we come to believe in is a sensory, tangible experience. So the fact is, by this stage of our encounter, they're paying attention. And so our obligation is to tell them exactly what happened to us. I've told you what happened to me. I was chained up in beds and locked up in various places. And finally, someone came and told me the truth. And the truth wasn't about don't drink and go to meetings. The truth was, if you're in as bad a shape as you look to be, there ain't nothing going to save you but the one who saved me. And if you want to hear about it, I'm happy to tell you more, but I can tell you that guys like you are already dead. So you're going to need some kind of force that can bring you to life. And I didn't hear much, but I knew I heard him. I heard him all the way to here. Okay. It says he can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing that he believe, be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived by spiritual principles. People make more of that than they should and they say silly things. It needs to make sense to you so it's not a doorknob or a light bulb. They've already told you precisely where and how the power is found. Found deep down inside every man, woman, and child expresses itself as power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. So it's none of those silly things we've heard over the years. It's none of those things. And we're not going to do that and it shouldn't make sense to him anyway. How does that make any fucking sense? I went and sat in meetings for years. I have sometimes chaired meetings drunk. So it ain't going to be a group of drunks, and it ain't going to be anything outside of me. It's going to have to be something that comes into me, cleans me out, and then takes me on a mission. Right? Okay. So it makes sense, and it's a power greater than me. And at this stage of our development, guys, if you don't believe in a power greater than you, what the hell are you doing in a recovery meeting? 
The only reason to be in a recovery meeting is because heroin, methamphetamine, cocaine, and alcohol is a power greater than you, and whoop you, because this isn't the kind of thing that goes on our vision board. <laughs> right? So I've already admitted I'm whooped. What the hell's wrong with admitted I've been lifted? Hell, it won't take long before you're declaring you've been lifted. Does it make sense? Okay. So it says, when dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. You see how I just sort of did that with you? It's really very simple. The spiritual principles is, is watch, ask, discuss, turn. Learn, learn that you're not seeing the world. You're seeing your thoughts about the world. Ask God to remove the thoughts about the world so that you can better see to help your brother and then turn your thoughts to your brother. And if you'll do those things, you'll gain access to power greater than you. Never been any more complex than that. Okay. So it says there's no use in arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. So I'm not going to preach to them about something that will scare them. But if they ask me what I believe, I'll tell them. So I'm not dishonoring my belief system. Does it make sense? I'm not here to tell you what you need to do. I'm telling you, the one that redeemed me said you got an invite too. If you want to know more about him, come on. All right. So I'm going to jump over from there in the interest of time to page 94. It says, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. Now, I'd be more credible in outlining that program of action and explaining how I made a self-appraisal if, in fact, I had made one. True? So people always ask me, do you have to work the steps in order? No, you don't have to work the steps at all. In fact, the authors don't ever tell you to work the steps. Here are the steps we took. They don't even talk about work until we're working with others. But what I would suggest to you is the steps are designed to arm me with the facts about myself so that I may be better used to you. And if I don't do that, I'm liable to be less effective. And if I'm less effective, I'm also going to feel less of the effects of service. And I am a guy who likes effects. I lived my life in pursuit of effects. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you heard a fifth step? How many of you felt the effects of that when they gave you the morsel that was killing them? Okay. All right. So it says, how you made a self-appraisal, how you straightened out your past, and why you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. Why am I now endeavoring to be helpful to him? It's insurance. The selfish reason is because it's insurance. How many of you have moved beyond that? I know Lance has, because I've walked with him. But how many of you now do it because your attitude and outlook has shifted so much that there is no more important thing than offering redemption to anyone that God puts in front of you? And once we, once we learn that, we know that whatever, I wouldn't have been shown this person if a way wasn't made. So it's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. Guys, if I don't continue to advocate for you until my last dying breath, I'm not honoring my third step decision. So 
The truth of it is the cleaning up of the past didn't happen in nine. It happens in 12. Nine just got me fit enough to do 12. Does it make sense? So the steps aren't what you should be doing. The steps are if what I am doing them, it won't matter to me what you're doing. And so I can serve in non-judgment. And I can't help someone I'm judging. Does it make sense? Okay. All right. So actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. How many of you have learned that lesson? Sometimes you hear it and you think, oh, nonsense. But the reality is, if we're in tune, we're guaranteed a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And every time we encounter another human being and offer our hand, no matter what they do, we're guaranteed the same awakening. And the depths of our spiritual walk will grow stronger. I was having this conversation with Marvin earlier. He said, we give it away to keep it. And I said, let me tell you a little secret. If you've been doing this a minute, that's what you say on the selfish side. We give it away to get it. Because you get a much deeper experience of God when you're a yielded servant. Does it make sense? So the more you serve the more you'll be filled with wisdom and understanding. All right, so make it plain he's under no obligation to you that you, may, you only hope that he'll try and help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Why would I hope that for them? Because I know it'll ease their suffering, right? What did you say? The main purpose of the book is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself to solve your problem, right? To, to show others precisely how we recovered is the main purpose of the book from the forward. But why would I want to show others? Because it, that's, that's my freedom, right? That's my purpose. That's my power and my purpose. That's what makes my musty past all clean. I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I had a past that would have been described as less than clean. <laughs> but in him, in redeeming others, it's clean. Does it make sense? Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Why would we need that suggestion? We gain access to power greater in ourselves when we offer it to another. So I would suggest, although I know you're disturbed by this, try and see what you can do to be helpful in the situation, and you will find that you'll extricate yourself from the situation. True? Okay. All right, so, so make it clear he's not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You, you should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he's helped you more than you've helped him. Now they're emphatic. If you haven't learned this lesson by now, you need to have learned it by now. If you're serving, you should know that I'm serving because you're going to help me more than I'm helping you. That's not the reason I'm serving, maybe, but it's still a certainty. That's what's going to happen. So I'm going to let them know that because I know that. If you don't know that, that's fine. How many of you had someone work with you? And then all of a sudden they just call you and say, hey, I found someone else to work with. Just wasn't working out. You're thinking, that motherfucker. Couldn't have told me that before I spent eight hours with you. But what did I learn from that guy? Oh, no, I learned a lot. I learned I had attachment to worldly outcomes that were not my own. I learned that 
My ego led me to believe that although I needed divine intervention to save me, I now could go save you. I learned a lot from that encounter. But I may have to reflect on that encounter because I'm still a little mad at him too. All right. So then it says, if your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you've perhaps made a friend. Perhaps you've disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. How many of you noticed that, that when you really were pretty sure it was never going to get better was the first time you actually heard what was being suggested? I don't know how many people I know that have gone and acquired some time and they just, no matter when you interact with them, they're quoting this book. Yeah, I'll go to page 86. And I'm like, okay, Charlie. Here's what I would suggest to you. When you are sure that all that knowledge has availed you nothing, put the book down and do what the fuck it says. Gonna have to live it. So your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. How many of you have had one like that? How many of you have been one like that? Most of us have been one, had one. How many of you now know there is no all of the program? It's a manner of living. As long as you're breathing, you're supposed to be using that breath to advocate for your brother or sister. If you're not, you're not doing all the program. Make sense? Okay. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. How many of you rebelled at such a thing? I ain't telling that to anyone. I'll take that to the grave. I said that to the cat that inter- intercepted me. He said, okay, well, get to God or get to God, and turned around and walked. I said, whoa, that was br- abrupt. Anyway, do not contradict such views. Tell them you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you had made much progress had you not taken action. Can you say that honestly? Had I not somehow been empowered to look within myself, get armed with the facts about myself, humble myself to go make approaches and try and seek power to go make amends, I doubt that I'd have made any progress because my lived experience prior to that proved I didn't. And I started making even greater progress armed with the facts about myself, bearing witness to others. Yes? And if you don't know that, keep doing it until you go. Remember, we have a chapter into action because into thinking doesn't work. We did into thinking in our addiction. I tried to think my way into better acting. I never could do it. So we act our way into better thinking. And at some point, you'll start recognizing the selflessness experience that they describe in the promises. And when that happens, you know that you've been relieved of the bondage of self. Regardless of what beliefs you had coming in, you will come to believe. Right? Okay. All right, so on, his, on your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lend him a copy of this book. In those days, they took time to differentiate between the fellowship and the program. The program is in the book. They don't have any need of the program if they're not interested in following through with this manner of living. But you can sit in our fellowships forever and never do any of it. But the program isn't sitting in that chair. I don't know how we got to the point where I'm in the program, and I don't know whether that means I sit in row three, seat four, or if they actually know who they are and whose they are. 
But I will know soon enough when we engage because we have a signature that comes with us when we know that. Okay? So then it says, all right, you know what? I'm going to jump from there because we'll run out of time if I don't. I'm going to go to page 97. They had gone into some things about uh, helping people with money, helping people with housing, things like this. Uh, back in step 11, the suggestion said it's now time to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And I told you, wait a week, and I'll tell you what, we're, what they discovered they were growing in understanding of and effectiveness at, and now they're going to tell us. Um, it says never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. How do I be sure I'm doing the right thing when someone asks me for something? Still, still, I will feel it, and I honestly want to, and I'm willing to make the effort. If I'm not doing it joyfully, I'm doing it for the wrong reason. Does it make sense? And then it says helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. So how important is that new one to me? How many of you want a recovery foundation without stone? None of us, right? So that person's life is important because that is going to be the foundation stone in my recovery. There's another book where a guy said, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters, mine you do unto me. It's not by accident. They studied that book for four years before they wrote this one. Three, anyway. Um, a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the good Samaritan every day if need be. Any of you know that story? The least likely person of all the people that passed this guy by was the one that helped. The Samaritan who should not have helped. And what did he do? Picked him up, patched him up, took him to the inn, paid his rent. Took ownership of his brother's condition. Even though he was the least likely one to do so. Says it may be the, mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. How many of you made innumerable trips to those things in your addiction? So those are experiences not everyone has. How many of you never saw again the ones that came and visited you at some of the worst of those times? They were paying that unending debt that you have now accrued. Does it make sense? So it's a no-brainer. I'm going to go do these things. Why am I going to go do these things? Because someone nameless did it for me. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. Don't have one of those anymore. Because you neglected her. <laughs> a drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. How many of you have had to take someone to public detox? How many of you administered sedatives to him on the way down? We may or may not have called a doctor. You guys that don't get the joke, if you've got to take somebody down there that's spun on meth or something, they're not going to admit them. So you're going to have to pour some liquor down their neck so we can get their blood alcohol up high enough so they can get admitted. Anyway. Most doctors probably won't give you that, but the great physician lives in you. So, Another time you may have to send for police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. What conditions? 
countless trips to police courts, sanitariums. So I was told when I went through the steps that these were the 12-step promises. I've, I've come to learn that what they really are is my job description. Remember they told me I had a new employer in three. Being all-powerful, he provided what I needed. If I kept close to him and performed his work well, this is my new job description. Kind of cool to get precise instructions, yeah? All right. So it says we seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time. It's not good for him and sometimes creates serious complications in the family. I'm going to jump over past that. I warned you that was coming. On page 98, in the middle of the page, it says it's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. That's what I'm growing an understanding and effectiveness of. I'm going to give to everyone who asks, but I'm not necessarily going to give what they ask. Does that make sense? Because I'm informed in the spirit, not the world, if I'm awakened in the spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's what in 11, why am I in prayer and meditation all day as I go along? Because I need guidance in the spirit of when and how. How many of you have known to stop and give when no one asked? And the giving wasn't necessarily monetary. It was just showing some respect to someone so forlorn that they just needed to know they were seen, right? Okay. So that often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Is that true? The authors are emphatic. Nonsense. And we always want to check with everybody. How many of you used or drank when you had no money? How many of you used and drank when you had money? So the lack thereof or plenty didn't seem to affect that, did it? So it's never about material needs for us addicts, right? Okay, so I'm going to go from there to the next paragraph. It says, burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. To burn an idea into your consciousness will require power greater than me. I'm not a shy speaker. I'm even considered to be a relatively accomplished speaker in some circles. But no matter what I am as a speaker, that will not burn into your consciousness. But what will burn into your consciousness is the spirit flowing through me. So informed in the spirit, when I let you know as you sit in here that you can get well regardless of anything, the only requirement is that you trust God, clean house, and help others, which is what we told you in prison if you're one of ours, right? <laughs> Pretty much. That's what the letter said. What are you doing to help others, right? Show us what you're doing on the yard. We'll tell you what your chances are out here. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to go from there to, because we're going to run out of time, I'm going to, I'm going to go to page 100, because this is a good place to end from. So the first paragraph there says, Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. 
lot of people over the years have read that and I've heard them translate it, that you've always got to have one in the steps. You always got to have a new guy. And I think those are valuable suggestions, but that's not what they're talking about. Because by this time I am awakened to the new man within me. And I got to walk with that new man within me because I still think like Joe, but when I'm in contact consciously, I act more like him. So I must walk with him. And if I do, remarkable things will follow. Some of you students of that other book, signs and wonders follow us. Does that make sense? The blind see, the lame walk, the captives are set free every day. Don't believe it, come hang out here. 